uh, there is children, there is young people, and uh, there is parents. And today we're going to answer just uh, uh, one of, uh, we're going to look at one of those areas and that's uh, the children. So we're going to ask ourselves, how do you disciple people in a childhood spiritual state? Hello and welcome again another episode in our teaching series which we've titled a band of disciples and you probably already uh, know that the whole purpose of this long series is to help you become a better Jesus-like discipler. Uh, We want to assist you and encourage you and challenge you with some tips and ideas and strategies, biblical, educational and practical, so that you could disciple others, journey alongside others, whether in a small group environment or one-on-one individual investment in people. And uh, we mentioned the, the concept of a band of disciples in a play on the metaphor of a musical um, you know, the uh, musical industry type of band, you know, worship band or just a normal band, uh, because uh, we, we want to articulate uh, that most people are like musicians. They're living in life uh, with a vision of themselves, a vision of their future that guides their practices, guides their actions, guides uh, their decisions. That image is a desire uh, of themselves that they would like to see come to fruition. And as a result of that, it motivates their actions, it motivates their interactions, it motivates their learning, it motivates their decisions and we as disciples need to act like band leaders or band coordinators who help people discover the desire of becoming a certain type of person in the world. Our job is to help build that vision of them becoming a certain kind of person, a Jesus-like human being who displays the image of God in the world. So we, we don't want to be the type of disciples, and you've heard me say this uh, many times, um, that, that we don't just want to give them theological knowledge as if we're injecting them with theology, hoping that that injection would uh, modify their behavior w- one way or another, and they get them engaged in, in, in religious activities, and in the hope that one day they will become, you know, very good Christians. It's, it's the opposite way, is that they see themselves. They see what God has already deposited in their inner being. They have the nature of Christ. And as a result of that, they walk from their identity. You know, just like Paul would do over and over again in his epistles, tell people who they are before he engages them in a way of life, in a walk of life. And um, uh, we see this beautifully articulated in, in, in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters um, about their position in Christ, their identity, who they are, and then uh, starting from chapter four, how to walk um, in, in line with, aligned to that type of view of themselves. So that's our role 
as disciples, how people uh, become a certain type of person in the world because they see themselves that way and therefore they are motivated to, to see that ideal uh, become a reality, obviously by the power of the Holy Spirit and with a band of disciples uh, and disciples who assist them, encourage them and challenge them to live their calling in the world. And uh, throughout this long series, we've looked at three primary uh, mini-series, if you like. The discipling calling, uh, then we looked at the discipling community, and, and then we've been engaged with the idea of a discipling competency. What are some of the skills and the ways, the practical ways in which we can enact our role as disciples? And we've been sharing with you some of the questions that we have received through online conferences or consultations with different uh, groups, or even just our team here at GenJ who have have uh, you know been discipling others for for a long time, and they have their own uh, you know um, uh, stories and and questions that have supported us in putting this uh, series together. And uh, in the next uh, this session, uh, uh, this session and next session, we're going to look at the idea of uh, spiritual phases and how you can walk with people uh, through their spiritual phases. Um, the, the, the idea is people go through different phases of development, uh, just like the plant goes through different phases of development. And in fact, the entire New Testament on various occasions suggests that our spiritual development can be illustrated through human development. We see this in the book of Hebrews chapter 5 where the writer of Hebrews expresses the, the difference between immature people who are like infants and mature people who, who have been trained uh, by their, uh, you know, over time to, be, to, to eat the solid food, not just rely on the elementary teaching, uh, um, a Christian teaching. So we, we, we see differentiation and catering for different people based on their spiritual faith. We also see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 3, Paul says this to the church in Corinth. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? And what we see here, uh, that in Paul's correspondence with the Corinthians, he was trying to deal with some mess that was going on in the church's life. They were quarreling about which leader they follow. So they had some divisions. Some said, I follow Paul. Others said, no, 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 I follow Apollos. Others said, no, I follow Cephas. I follow Peter, that is. Uh, and others says, no, 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 I'm the Jesus guy. You know, we're obviously better than you guys. And they, they, they brought the culture of Corinth into the life of the church where they use in their culture to separate between and divide amongst themselves based on the uh, uh, orators or the leaders that they followed. They wanted to bring that in the church. So Paul is saying to them, looking at the way you're living your life, it tells me that you're infants. That means you are worldly people, not living by the Spirit. He's saying to them, I can look at the way you live life and, and from that, 
um, you know, uh, find the judgment or conclude and in a positive way that you are needing to be treated like infants. Uh, so he's, 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 not, uh, uh, he's not rejecting them or judging them in a way that sabotages them. He's saying, I deal with you based on where you're at on your spiritual journey. And he mentions this to them as a way of inspiration to go beyond that and to grow forward and to be a people who are, who are living by the Spirit and, and who, who, who would be able to share with them solid food, not just milk. Very clearly, we notice that there are various phases in the spiritual life that, are, that, that, that the writers use the ideas uh, of human development to articulate uh, similarities uh, between the physical and the biological and the spiritual. And uh, the Apostle John, in his first epistle uh, and chapter 2, he, he writes a little poem that separates the sections of his, of his letter and, um, and, and, and in that letter which he was strong to express to the believers that they are truly Christians because of those tests, that there were several tests of their authenticity. And he wants to encourage them to live as genuine disciples of Jesus. And here he addresses three separate audiences, if you like, within the congregation. And he says to them in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then he goes on and says, I write to you, dear children, because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And then he says, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Very clearly, we notice three types of people uh, that he singles out. Obviously, the first term, uh, dear children, in the first, uh, in, in the first incident in, in verse 12, uh, actually refers to the general children of God. But then he mentions children again, which is specific of, a specific, uh, of, a, of an audience. So it's either the, 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 the children, like young people in the congregation, or the children in the faith, so new believers. In whichever case, we see children, we see young people, and we see fathers. So there are seemingly three phases of either um, uh, you know, physiological development, children, young people, and, and, and parents, or, or, or they could uh, be used as metaphors to speak of phases of spiritual development, or they could uh, potentially just refer to uh, new believers, people who have been believers for a while, and us who are mature in the faith. Re regardless of what's going on, we recognize that there are three potential phases of spiritual development that can help us walk with people and tailor-make our, our investment to their needs. Uh, there is children, there is young people, and uh, there is parents. And today, we're going to answer just uh, uh, one of, uh, we're going to look at one of those areas, and that's uh, the children. So we're going to ask ourselves, how do you disciple people 
in a childhood spiritual stage. So we're not referring to children in primary school, in your in a kid's church. No, we're talking about people who have come to know Jesus and they're still in a phase of being children. And, uh, and, and, and how do you walk with them and help them uh, to develop in their faith? Um, so th- that's, that's what we're looking at today. Uh, how do you help a spiritual children. And uh, if I said to you, who do you think, uh, you know, this uh, new believer in your uh, relational environment, in your family, in your friendship group, in your neighborhood, or in your church environment, no doubt you will be able to mention some characteristics about those people. You will potentially say to me, you know, they are so enthused and so, you know, energetic and they're going, giving it their best shot. And, and we know that is true in, in majority of cases that we'll, we've experienced, you know, in life. You know, when people uh, first engage in a particular hobby, they are just over the moon about it. If they engage in a particular role, they're just so enthused. If they engage in a particular calling, I, I remember being a secondary school teacher I worked in an all boys school and I was in a, in a, um, you know video and media um, I taught media studies um, and in our school kids were often invited to do one-on-one uh, a musical uh, training with with, a, with an instructor and they did it in a, in a, in the next floor above where, where my class is so some kids in my classes would be given you know a permission slip to leave my class and go have their in, uh, instrumental uh, session with with an expert and I noticed that when they come to me with with the slip they got a beaming smile maybe because they hated my teaching I don't know I didn't take it personally I am more guessing that they were so excited to, to, because they see themselves as musicians and they're going to have one-on-one attention with someone that they admired for their skills and they usually were you know talking about it before they go uh, to, to that session they often talked about it before after they came from that session so they wasted 20 minutes of of our time you know talking to their friends but they were so enthused and, 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 and that's just a description of being, you know, what we would call an ideal student is so hungry and so fired up for what they're learning. And they, they you know, they have such a, a exponential growth, you know, steep learning curve, we say, when they begin to engage with this, uh, with this thing that they love so much. And exactly the same thing you would say about a child in a spiritual sense. And, and you probably know some people that you've invested in. You probably have seen others who, who have come to, to know Jesus. And the sad reality, uh, maybe only in my ministry context, but the, the reality is some uh, Christian environments, they see people come to know Jesus, but they don't address them in their spiritual development needs. And they maybe ignore them. Maybe they, they, they leave them because they don't want to interfere with, the, with them or they don't want to impose themselves upon them and all of a sudden those children that once were enthusiastic, uh, you, you, you know the story, they, they get stale, they sometimes lose interest and sometimes they even walk out 
on the faith. So I want to share with you, as I will do with the rest of the next uh, uh, two uh, episodes, I will look at every phase, the needs of the individual individuals, you know, in their spiritual phase, and what role can you play to support them, to walk uh, with them, to journey alongside them in their spiritual development. And the first one is the child. So what do we know about a child? A spiritual child. Uh, number one, we could, uh, you know, allude to the fact that as children, in a biological sense, are dependent on their caregivers, so are spiritual children. When they first come to know Jesus, they seem, uh, you know, they're so dependent. They, they need others to walk with them, to support them, to, you know, help them find their way. Have you ever been to a new store? where you walk in, especially if it's a big shopping center, and, and you think, where do I start? I have no idea. I have Unless you just love shopping and you're going to get yourself lost just so you can look at more shops. But most of us want to go check the map or want to go find somebody who works in, in that complex and we say, can you help me find my way? Yeah. So as children who are embarking on this new way of life, being Jesus-like people, we, we are dependent on others to help us, to assist us, to direct us. But the second thing which, um, you know, my father really helped me through this very, very early on, as soon as I began to, to show some interest in the things of God, he explained to me that as people come to know Jesus, as I come to know Jesus, I'm going to encounter temptations, uh, trials, and I'm going to fail along the way. Despite of my, um, you know, highest, uh, you know, hopes and my intention, firm intentions to walk wholeheartedly and wholly and godly and not stuff up and not to, to, to you know, not in any way to bring this uh, disrepute to God's reputation. Uh, you know, I, I want to live the type of stuff that I'm reading in the scripture as a new believer. I want to honor God. I want to bless other people. I want to live with integrity in the heart. I want to influence the, the, the world around me. Uh, but I'm going to encounter temptations and trials and and, and, and no doubt about it, I'm going to fall. I'm going to feel a sense of defeat. And uh, we have looked at how you can help people overcome defeat in, in a previous episode. So you can refer yourself to that. Uh, but, but defeat is real. And once we experience repeated defeat, we'll begin to doubt. Without God to start with, without God, uh, God's unconditional acceptance, we say, surely He couldn't really accept me. I stuffed this up once, twice, three times. How long would it take for God to, to like me again? You know, how long will God give me the cold shoulders for? We, we bring our, our, our you know, uh, past experiences with other human beings or our upbringing, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, experiences in our families and we impose that upon God and say, God couldn't possibly forgive me, couldn't possibly love me the same way, uh, you know, and we doubt if we're not performing our way, we doubt that we're accepted, we even doubt our conversion. We doubt that we actually made a significant 
transforming decision in our life and say, surely people who are converted, because we hear always, uh, you know, the edited version of people's story, you know, especially those people who are like me who preach, we give people our edited version. So we make new believers think that as soon as you come to Jesus, you're going to be happy all the time. You're not going to make any mistakes. You're just going to be, you know, so elevated above the world. You're going to be amazing. You know, you're going to be the you move over Mother Tree. The I come on the site now. You know, unrealistic stuff. But w- because they, they they have those doubts on themselves and they begin to potentially doubt other people's authenticity, they can fall in despair. And they say, well, surely I'm not cut for this. Surely I wouldn't survive this onslaught. Surely the enemy is going to bring me down all the time. And that despair uh, potentially ruins and derails their walk with Jesus. So they change their ambition to walk wholeheartedly for Jesus. They figure out a different desire or uh, they basically can't reconcile their ideal with their reality. So they let go of the faith altogether. Uh, These uh, uh, spiritual children have a desire for belonging. Just like a a child in a family is in desperate need for for the love and the nurture of a caring environment, of a a caregiver, of a significant uh, person in their lives, so is the spiritual children. You are probably familiar with some of the experimentations that were conducted many years ago in the area of psychology, where they would take children from their parents at birth and they would, um, you know, they would put them in a military-like caregiving environment where they give them food, um, you know, and all the essentials, but they, they wouldn't experience the hug and the affection of a caregiver. And they, they, they followed them uh, over a, a long period of time and discovered that these, these people were, were dysfunctional as, as, uh, as they grew older. And many of them actually uh, couldn't live for too long. Because we are in desperate need for uh, affection, for care, for belonging. So uh, that's the need of a spiritual child. Even if they can't express it to you, you need to know that's their need. Uh, They also humble and hungry in their interactions with you as a disciple maker, as a spiritual uh, parent, and maybe even with their siblings. They're just so lovely to be around. They're so hungry for for, for for engagement, for prayer together, for fellowship together. It's we're all in it together. Um, they find their identity uh, through being with others. How uh, Who are we familiar with and similar to? And that, that defines them. They also have a need for nurture. Every child needs nurture. Uh, the nurture of the, uh, you, you, you know, the uh, food and the nurture um, uh, of, of, of a family. You know, even uh, Peter in his first uh, epistle, I believe in chapter two, he, he said that like newborn babes uh, desire the milk of the word, that by which you will grow. So we need nurture, just like a plant needs nurture, just like a child needs uh, nutrition and nurture. Uh, your role in this spiritual stage is so so significant. You are going to represent to that spiritual child how God views them and how potentially God would interact with them. So the first thing you need to do is to model unconditional care. 
if God, their heavenly father, is real and ideal father, he has unconditional love and care for them. This actually means their performance does not influence God's love. Their performance doesn't influence God's love. So they need to, to see the unconditional love in you when they are defeated. You need to love them just the same way that you love them when they were you know, great guns. Uh, you, you, you need to, to care for them in good times and hard times, regardless. And every time you feel like, you know what, that's driving me nuts. Well, remember that you're just as vulnerable as them. And you could fail and you needed God and you need God's unconditional love. So you need to express the same heart of God towards people. Then you need to clarify and help them understand their identity as God's loved child. Help them through the scripture to see that they are loved by God. That God, as soon as they have received Christ, this is the first verse I've ever memorized, is John 1.12. As many as received Him, that is Christ, He gave them the right to become children of God. That is those who are called by His name. The believers when they receive the DNA of Christ on the inside, they are immediately embraced by God as their real and ideal father. That means he feels responsible to protect you, to provide for you, to embrace you, to, 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 to give you preferential treatment. Uh, God is your real and ideal father. Even if, if earthly fathers fail you, he doesn't. So the, the spiritual child needs to hear that from you and needs to see it from the scripture that they are loved children of God and therefore God is definitely invested in them from creation. Uh, throughout their rebellion years, God was pursuing them with love, you know, with cords of love. He was drawing them and he is committed to a stable relationship with love until the day that he meets them face to face. God's love is unconditional. They are his children and they find their identity in God and uh, incorporated in a family. They need to be incorporated in a family to see what it's like to be part of God's household. You see, we learn about God and we learn about ourselves in the context of a family. Just like a child gets to know about their caregiver and their siblings in a context of a loving, uh, warm, safe environment. So once a person becomes a believer, uh, don't just say, I belong to a God-honoring church. We, we, I know that's a phrase we always say, but they need more than that. They don't need people just to be sitting around them in pews. They need people to interact with them in real life. Imagine if all that you would do in a family is sit in rows and watch TV show after TV show, after a Netflix thing, after a movie. It's like, that's not a family environment. We grow by eating together, chatting together, instructing one another, uh, negotiating with one another things, you know, uh, loving on each other, celebrating one another. And sometimes, you know, the sibling know a lot about themselves as they fight with one another, but they still love one another. So incorporate them in a real family environment. Then initiate interactions. Just um, as you begin your discipling relationship with people, they need you 
to begin the interaction. You need you to initiate the interaction because they might think, you know, he doesn't really, they haven't figured out whether you are invested in them wholeheartedly. And they trying to figure out through you what God is like as well. So you need to initiate the interaction. You know, in, in my uh, groups, I begin by writing an, a, a, a message to those people I'm trying to disciple, regardless of their feedback. Even if they send me a love emoji or a thumbs up, whatever it might be, I keep initiating interaction until I find out that they're not interested at all, which would take several months to come to that conclusion. Or they, uh, they, they, they something happens and they want to interact with me and they engage with me on a more uh, deeper level and authentic and transparent level. The last thing I want to mention about your role as a discipler with a spiritual child is direct instructions. So it's not just waiting for them to ask you questions, but helping them. So one of the first thing we do is help people understand how to read the Word of God in a practical, applicative way. So go with it, go through a, a structure like the structure of soap and help them say, this might help you to engage with God on a daily basis. So how about you have a go and then share with me what you've heard uh, God uh, you know, uh, teach you. And uh, maybe I, me and you can can help each other to, to, to keep ourselves accountable, to support one another, to live that out on a daily basis. So you are being uh, direct in your instructions, how they can uh, you know, live uh, life as genuine disciples of Jesus in their family environment, in, 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 in their non-believing world, how you can share with them how to care and pray and respond. Like here, they need you to support them with meaningful instructions that will enable them to live the life that they are sold at uh, for. I don't mean uh, being difficult and just force your opinion down their throats. I'm not talking about, you know, theology, theology, theology. No, I mean practical ways by which they can learn how to live as a loved child of God. Next two sessions, we're going to look at how do you walk with and support a, a young person in the faith, you know, a teenager, a young adult. And how uh, in the following session, we'll look at how you can support parents, spiritual parents in their discipling endeavors. I so feel that I want to celebrate you as a discipler, somebody who's invested your life in coming alongside other people. We love you. We pray for you. We bless you in the matchless name of Jesus. And we look forward to being with you in our next episode. Until then, be utterly blessed in Jesus. <music>